0: chapter 6 of the will and the way stories this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by roger maline the will and the way stories by jessy benton fremont chapter 6 miss Millie. this little lady had a whole name but as her grandmother was also mildred and in the southern way was always called by the old servants miss mildred so she was there miss milly and as little children often do taking the whole sound for one word she called herself miss milly and long after she was past childish days that remained her pet name for this was a pet child a happy child quite the most happy and petted of little ones She was an only child, an only grandchild, healthy but so small and dainty, and so resembling a little one, now only a memory of her grandparents, that no sounds but of tenderness ever met her ears, and her lovely blue eyes saw only loving faces, from that of her dusky mammy up to her splendid grandfather, the Judge. The outside circle of relations and friends said, "'That child will be ruined. She never has any discipline. She does her own way, and everyone agrees with her. She is let to do just as she pleases.' "'Of course she does,' the judge would answer with politely restrained impatience. "'And she shall go on pleasing herself. She has no need of training. The child's instincts are all right, and she needs only good examples.' IT IS WE WHO MUST TRAIN OURSELVES TO BE FIT FOR SO MUCH TRUST AND SUCH CLEAR INSTINCT OF RIGHT. I WILL NOT HAVE THAT CHILD WOUNDED BY COMMON RULES. AND SHE IS NOT STRONG. SHE MUST GROW UP IN THE SUNSHINE OF LOVE AND NEVER THINK IT CAN FAIL HER. NO ONE SHALL SPOIL THE PERFECT TRUST SHE HAS IN THE LOVE THAT SURROUNDS HER. SHE WILL KNOW THE DIFFERENCE WHEN SHE IS OLDER, TIME ENOUGH THEN. WE CANNOT FOLLOW THE CHILD THROUGH LIFE, BUT WHILE SHE IS JUST OURS, SHE SHALL FEEL THAT SHE CAN DO NO WRONG. SHE WAS THE MOST REASONABLE OF CHILDREN, BECAUSE ALWAYS SHE WAS GENTLY AND AFFECTIONATELY TOLD WHY CERTAIN THINGS MUST NOT BE, AND THAT WAS ENOUGH. AS A SMALL INSTANCE, SHE WAS VERY FOND OF ROASTING EARS, THE GREEN CORN WHICH IS SO LIKED IN THE SOUTH. One of the disciplining relations was greatly struck with Miss Millie's self-denial at her house. "'I should not have let corn come to table,' she said. "'But I forgot Millie ought not to eat it. Now she will want it.' "'No,' said Miss Millie. "'I must not want it. It makes Grandma sorry to see me sick.' Then turning to the smoking platter, "'Oh, temptation corn!' how good you smell but my stomach machine can't grind you in summer they lived on the old country place which was but a half a day's drive from washington where the judge had to be in winter the whole family kept together winter and summer they had a fine roomy townhouse with large grounds and old trees and here were the same old family servants and their children trained to the house And the ways of our family. No strangers were ever around Millie. Even her papa was not a stranger to the family, for the judge had been his guardian and knew his father and his grandfather before him. Before settling down to attend for himself to his estate, her papa, who was an officer in the Navy, was much away. His people, the judge too, had made the grand tour to see the world before becoming country gentlemen and taking care of politics and now young phil was making his grand tour as a naval officer for this and because her mother was so very young they were not to have a separate house until phil should resign so millie was seven years old before they had a house of their own that left her mamma for just another pet child for the judge, and she and the young aunts and Miss Millie were all a happy young lot together. So the child had the loveliest time all the year round. While she was very little, her grandfather would take her before him on his horse, but when she was six, he gave her a small gentle mare, Maddie, for her very own and they had good rides together followed by the favorite dogs she carried the basket with the ball of twine when her grandmother tied up the flowers and brought it in full of roses she followed grandmama to the dairy and the great barnyard and threw corn to the chickens and turkeys and spent her days in clear air and sunshine and grew stronger all the time they would not let her learn to read she thought too much anyhow and it was not good for her to get at books too young but she had learned many things for she was always answered intelligently and patiently and she knew she only needed to ask and someone would tell all about it the most delightful time except the horseback rides came after she was made all fresh and ready for the night and over her white gown was put her long pink flannel gown with lace frills and pink ribbons. My grown-up wrapper. Then Mammy carried her down to nestle into Grandfather's arms for a good-night story. This was a happy time for the judge, too. His strong, kind arm held her curly head so she could watch his face as she lay, warm and rested, listening, questioning, arguing he arguing seriously with her considering nothing a trifle that pleased or moulded the young mind until the eyelids began to droop then his firm voice would grow more low more lingering until the blue eyes were fast for the night then the judge himself carried her up to her little bed to begin again the next evening where they had left off of stories of horses and dogs she never wearied She knew all about her grandfather's favorite horses and hunting dogs. From these they roamed afield to storied animals. He told her of the famous wooden horse and the burning of Troy, of the faithful dog of Ulysses and its master's long sea travel, like Papa, of Phaeton's bad driving and Diana's hounds. Diana became first favorite the rides by running brooks through old woods made real to her the hunting scenes pictured by her grandfather and she had a true love for nature a large collection of fine engravings from the museum of the louvre gave form to many of these stories which she liked fortunately to have repeated again and again here too her relations thought it wrong for her head to be filled with pagan lore but these two just went on in their own way enjoying the good-night talks she knew her bible stories also but diana held her own for a long time about the only trouble that came to this happy little maiden was when she saw her mother quiet and sad her father was ill from fever far far away there were no ocean cables then and the suspense of the long waiting for letters was very hard. When at last Papa came home, so pale and thin, he made them all glad by resigning from the Navy to live at home on his own large property. A house was bought close to her grandfather's townhouse, and a gate put between the grounds so they could come and go by their own path under the catalpa trees. Now Millie had everybody she loved, But that fever had hurt her father and left him in constant pain and he was told to travel to some german springs and get all the aches and pains out of him so instead of going to the country home for the summer she went with her mother and father across the ocean first to london where it was so damp they hurried over to paris where it was not all they wanted in climate But it was lovely to wait there until the baths were open for the season at Gastine. And there, Millie, who could not write much, dictated many letters home through her papa and mamma, telling the dear grandparents of the new health coming back to her father, of her mother's laughing and having her pretty pink cheeks again, and that they all went together nearly every day to see the pictures she used to hear the stories of at home. That she had seen all her good night people, Diana especially, many Dianas in pictures and in marble, and that over the great gate of the Louvre, Louis the Fourteenth was driving the chariot of the sun, just like Phoebus, and that Papa said she was a funny baby to know about them all, but she liked them because they were home people now everywhere there are people who think they know better than you do what is best for you to do they do not hesitate to break up your plans and set you to carrying out their ideas the wife of the american minister looked upon milly's mother as a mere child because she had been a friend of milly's grandmother when they were both young girls in virginia So she was very positive it was wrong to have little Millie just enjoying herself in this easy, idle way and said she ought to be working away at French lessons. The child is nearly ten. She ought to be in a school. She ought not to lose this opportunity to get the correct accent. She is picking up a very common accent from her nurse and ought to be put among refined French girls and teachers for a few months until the correct accent is formed. All of which, persisted in, bothered Millie's mother very much, for she had never been to a school herself and had no idea how to live separated from her one little child. And yet what if she were selfish and not just to Millie? and she was very young and trained to habits of respect for her elders. So it was settled that, as there were to be some months at the different baths and cures, Millie should for that time stay at a very distinguished school in Paris, where every extra of attention and comfort was provided for her. To get used to the separation, Millie was to begin at once, while her mother could go to see her every day, and have her at home for Saturdays and Sundays. It was against her feelings, but Millie's mother had a general idea that if you gave up what you wanted most, you did right. That was not her nature, but it is very much our American training. Some way doing right did not make either mother or child contented, or used to the separation not one bit. One day the principal came into the parlour in place of Millie, and asked the mother to please not to come daily, to come only once in the week, for the child watched the clock and grew feverish towards three. "'It is not good for either of you,' said madame. "'Pardon me, but neither of you is showing the self-control which is so necessary, and which I am sure you feel your daughter must acquire.' AND ALL THE MOTHER COULD GET WAS PERMISSION TO SEE Milly THAT TIME AND TELL HER HERSELF WHY SHE COULD NOT SEE HER EVERY DAY. IT IS NOT FOR LONG, DARLING. WE WILL GET THAT HORRID ACCENT SOME EASIER WAY SOON, FOR I CAN'T STAND IT AND YOU SHALL NOT. EVERYTHING IS ARRANGED NOW FOR OUR GOING, BUT SOON PAPA WILL BE ENTIRELY WELL AND THEN WE WILL GO BACK HOME well it was but a few days after this that while the girls were playing prisoner's base in the beautiful large grounds of this school one of the elder girls fell against milly as they raced and the shock threw her forward against a tree in such a way that a projecting twig gave her a hurt to one eye that made her cry out then fall down almost fainting for this was a sensitive nature body and mind in an instant the teachers who were always watching in french schools then madame herself were with her greatly alarmed for the hurt was directly to the eye some blood ran and a little jagged torn place showed on the eyelid but the child could not open her eye and the pain seemed intolerable though she was controlling herself wonderfully their physician was sent for and also a distinguished oculist. Madame was not only really grieved, but she could not bear to have a child under her care made blind or disfigured. It was a distressing interval while they waited the physicians. What did our Millie do? That tenderly petted child who had no discipline, who pined because she could not see her mother every day? She was the most quiet, the most thoughtful of the whole. "'Lucy must not cry so. She is not to blame. She stumbled and fell on me. She couldn't help it.' Then, in her broken French, she tried to comfort the sobbing Lucy. "'Your mother shall come to you at once,' said Madame. "'No,' cried Millie. "'She must not be frightened. Wait until the doctor says if I am to be blind.' and she would not rest until Madame promised she would not send. She would wait to hear what the doctor said. The two physicians were quickly with her. It was already nightfall. They said they could not decide how deep the injury was to the eye. It was so swollen already and so sensitive. The best they could do was to keep up soothing applications for some hours, reduce the swelling, then examine the child was perfectly reasonable and trying to be quiet but was trembling in a nervous chill poor baby said the great oculist pauvre cher bebe send for her mother to calm her no 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 begged milly wait oh somebody that speaks good french tell him how it will frighten my mother you cannot know until morning whether i will be blind or not wait i can wait i will mind all you tell me by myself if i am to lose my eye mother will be sorry for me all her life let her be happy this one night longer there were no dry eyes around that little sufferer tenderly the oculus explained to her that her head must be as little moved as possible Whatever tear or strain had come would be made worse if she cried, or if she tossed her head in pain. She would have to be careful for herself, for no one, nothing, could help her so much as her own will, that the wet bandage must be kept fresh all night, and if she did not cry and could keep very still— "'I can, I will,' answered the soft little voice." well then ma petite if you can really be so brave i think by morning i can do my part and we will believe until we have to give up that the eye will be saved i think it will and if it is you will have done the largest part then came the soothing drink and the arrangements for the night the young physician his assistant was to remain all night and overlook the school nurse who was to sit by her and keep up the wet applications but mademoiselle jeanne must sleep all tomorrow if she stays up all night she said to madame who granted everything and then quiet fell on the room with its shaded light and wood fire for the child was chilled by pain and nervous shock madame as well as the young physician came softly in at times sometimes milly was dozing holding on to jeanne's hand sometimes her soft voice was prattling away in her mixed french and english though jeanne spoke fairly good english and they heard her laughing a feverish nervous little laugh as she told jeanne how pleased she was to find the pictures of the real live diana and she talked of her baby days When she always went to sleep in her grandfather's arms while he told her beautiful stories. It feels like I was a sleepy baby again, mademoiselle jeanne. I like to feel your hand holding me. Could you tell me a story of when you were little? It would be so nice. And jeanne told her a story which was more unreal to her luxurious life encompassed by love and care than any fable she had ever heard gently and quietly told of always work the work of her parents then sickness and their death and her own work from girlhood on for herself no home but what she earned by her work but now she had a good home and madame was very kind and would always keep her for with pride i am a trained and good nurse and there are always sick people and I speak and can read English, which is very useful. In that night of threatened blindness, the little one's eyes were open to the vast world of the poor and lowly. The seed fell on good ground. With early morning came the great doctor. The assistant held her head, and the examination showed a torn upper eyelid, a slight tear on the under eyelid also, into the cheek but the dear lovely eye was only bruised nothing deeper there was thankfulness in every heart now i want to see my mother if i may we will do better said this good doctor i will take you to her myself and make her sure you will be free from pain soon and that there will be no disfigurement and so warmly wrapped and in good Jeanne's arms They drove through the silent early morning streets to her own house where the doctor, warning the servants to make no sound, himself carried her up to her mamma, who was just dressed and never dreaming her darling was so near. "'Your little daughter is more brave than your wife,' the doctor said to her father. The poor young mother was in an agony of grief and self-reproach, that her child had been in danger and suffering, and she not with her. On her knees, with her arms around the precious little one, she turned to them. No, I am not brave. I have been a coward to give up and let her go from me. Never, never shall I give her up again. How could I be so cruel to her? And they were not separated after that there was never any school but governess and teachers and home the french accent came all right and much more important things also the most important of all the loving faith and mutual support of family life was kept wonderfully unbroken by these two as long as i knew them some inevitable separations came but they ended them as quickly as possible I know that the war and many sorrows made troubled times for them. Houses and lands and comforts were lost, but they always had each other. End of chapter 6 Recording by Roger Milleen